0: What do we do when we walk away from God and when we're far from God? He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't just shrug his shoulders and go, "Oh well." He doesn't just uh, better luck next time. I'll make more humans. Um, no, for every single human that is conceived, I think God has a plan for that life, and God deeply cares for that life. And uh, if we are to believe the songs that we sing and the words that we read in the Bible, is that God actually pursues every single one of those lives that has ever been uh, thought about, even? And I believe it's uh, God's desire that uh, we continue on his creation. And uh, no, this isn't a message on sex today, but it could be, um, because it is uh, something that God has given us just to continue to uh, build his creation, uh, the beautiful, wonderful creation that is you and that is me. And if you look around the room today and you just uh, look into the eyes of the person across the room from you, um, be careful how you do that, it might get awkward. But uh, I seriously do believe when you do that, you just uh, see the beauty of that person and just all that God has for them today. And so I just want to let you know that you are valued, that you're cared about, that uh, you are seen by God, you're loved by God. And I think if you look around this room, you're loved by one another this morning. And uh, even though we can't see our family and friends online today, know that you also, uh, you too, are loved and uh, honored today and uh, received by God to be blessed by him. Um, Let's pray as we open up the word of God. Our Father in heaven. Think of the holiness of your name today in these moments, God, that there is none like you. Lord, you are set apart. No one can compare to the greatness, the goodness, the majesty of who you are, O oh God. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you have brought, Lord, your kingdom here to this earth. And Lord, you are bringing restoration and you are making us whole again in the middle of our brokenness. Lord, in the middle of our suffering, Lord, you promised that you will be with us to the very end of the age. Lord, you also say, I'm going to get ahead of myself in the message today, but Lord, you also tell us um, in this world that we'll have troubles, but you said take heart for I have overcome the world. And so today, oh Lord, we hold on to that hope that you have overcome our troubles, you have overcome our suffering, and God, you have certainly overcome our pain. And so, Lord, as we go to your word today, as we receive from you this morning, Lord Jesus, we just trust that you will speak to us through your spirit, through the words on these pages today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are back into Psalm 23. Last Sunday, Elizabeth spoke and gave us the intro to this mini-series within our Psalm 23 series. And we started talking about the valley. And so we want to um, go here for a few weeks because um, every one of us in our life, if we haven't already, I'm certain that all of us have uh, at some point, we've gone through some dark seasons in our lives. Uh, we've gone through some pretty dark, muddy, deep Waters in our time here on this earth. And if you never have, I suspect that you will. And uh, one of the things that uh, we can expect in this world is that we indeed will have trouble. But as I said, as I get to the end of the message today, take heart, for the Lord has overcome the world. And so today, uh, we could probably go around the room and talk about the most difficult season of your life. And maybe you haven't had that hard of a life at all. Maybe you've had a really good, easy going life, but that doesn't mean you haven't had dark moments. And, and maybe you can't even pinpoint a specific season where things are hard, but you can think about a time even in your own mind where your thoughts went to a deep, dark place. Maybe um, whatever the situation is, we know that uh, in every moment, in every season that we go through, the Lord is with us. And this is what David is pursuing and teaching and experiencing and sharing his experience with us. As a shepherd himself, as a sheep himself, he takes the posture of a of a sheep in relation to his relationship with God. And he gives us this beautiful psalm. And a few weeks ago, I think I may have shared this little breakdown of Psalm 23 from a uh, Plymouth Brethren author from Forest, Ontario. If you don't know where that is, look it up on Google Maps, and I'll tell you it's near Sarnia in case you don't want to do that. But um, from little town Ontario, this is his little interpretation of Psalm 23. The secret of a happy life. Every need is supplied. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. The secret of a happy death. I can't wait for my funeral because my funeral is not going to be boring. Okay? Like, if you come to my funeral, please make sure that it's not boring. And if it's boring, you need to stand up in my funeral and, and, and just yell from wherever you're sitting, This is not right. Right? Pastor Gary said my funeral was going to be fun and happy and joyous. There will be singing in the streets. Okay, that's a little extreme. But think of the little um, munchkins in Munchkinland from the Wizard of Oz. Ding dong, the witch is dead. This is going to be my funeral. Not celebrating that I'm, of course... Not in your hair anymore, but celebrating that I am forever with Jesus, celebrating in heaven with him. But the secret of a happy death every fear is removed. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Happy death. And of course, the secret of a happy eternity every desire is fulfilled. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In case you didn't catch that, we pretty well read Psalm 23. But in case you don't know it yet, this is what it says from the New International Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along paths for his name's sake. Let me just clarify. He guides me along right paths. And if you've memorized as a child, you probably heard along paths of righteousness. Verse 4, we're going to head out there today. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How long? Forever. Oh, thanks. I was going to say it, but you said it even better. So we want to talk this morning about overcoming the darkest valley. And um, this is not going to be an exhaustive list. There's, this is something that we could probably preach on every, every Sunday. and uh, You probably know of somebody right now who is going through a difficult valley. In fact, every time we, we take a minute and we pray for somebody, it's an instant recognition of some sort of valley that they are going through. Now, there's different kinds of valleys, of course. Some, some are uh, not as bad as others. Some are not as dark as others. And there's... Um, there's different seasons of life that we go through. And, and I've done this message series before, you know, between the mountaintop and the lowest valley. And I'll never forget, it was the Christmas of 2018. I started a series, uh, Knowing God in the Valley, Knowing God on the Mountaintop. And someone walked into church that Sunday. And um, it's kind of a funny story. Um, they had been kind of... Um, Convicted by the Spirit, invited by others. Hey, you really should go to church. In fact, you should go to the church that's at the end of the dead end street. And they said, No, 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 that's not for me. And they sat on their couch Sunday morning, and they said, Maybe I should go to church. And so they put on their coat, got to the front door, and then went. Not today. Closed the front door, sat back down on their couch. Next week, they said, All right, maybe I should go to church today instead of watching whatever. Thing on the TV, and so they get up. They got in their coat, got in their truck. They drove past the road. Instead of turning down the road, he said, "Not today. We'll come back another week." The next week came. Sitting on the couch, turned on the TV. Maybe I should go to church. No, I don't want to go to church. Maybe I should go to church. I don't want to go to church. Maybe I should go to church. Fine, I'll go to church. Puts on his coat, walks to the truck, gets in the truck, drives down the road, turns down the road, sits in the parking lot for 20 minutes. No, not today. Drives in the truck, pulls out of the parking lot goes home. Next week, turns on the TV, sits on the couch. Maybe I should go to church today. Turns off the TV, gets off the couch, puts on their coat, walks to their truck, gets in the truck, drives down the road, gets to the parking lot, gets to the front door of the church. Should I go to church or not? Hand on the handle. They're already late for church, so there's nobody there coming in and out. Can't just blend in. They walk into church. First words they hear out of my mouth are, if you are in a valley, this message is for you. I don't even know what it said exactly. And they said to me later that week, they said, it was as if you were talking directly to me, Gary. I said, everything you talked about was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. And I'll never forget, of course, the journey that this person went on from that point Forward, but at the end of the day they ended up giving their heart to the Lord and decided that no matter what they faced in this life, they were gonna serve God. In fact, they came to me, they had a quite quite um quite an intense situation going on, and they said to me, Um, hey, if this doesn't work out, I don't think I can believe that God is real. And I get a phone call on Wednesday saying, Gary, it didn't work out the way that I prayed. And there was just kind of this awkward long pause on the phone. And I said, so I'll see you on Sunday? And he said, you bet. (laughs) Finally, in that moment, his faith was bigger than his fear. Not the faith just to walk into the door of a church. But even though the world was falling apart around him, even though he was walking through this deep, incredibly dark valley, he had this moment where he got, my faith is bigger than my fear. The fear is what's holding me back. And maybe God didn't answer the prayer that I wanted him to, the way that I asked him to. Maybe he didn't answer the prayer that Pastor Gary prayed over me. But you know what? My faith in God is still bigger than it is in this moment. Faith over fear is number one. I believe that's what gets us through the valley. Um, Elizabeth mentioned last week the even though moments. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though, even though, even though this, even though that. That was her message last week. And, and I believe if we take the right posture, we can say even though God is able, God can, and by faith we believe God will. One of the best quotes of Winston Churchill, and one of my favorite, maybe it's not the best ones, but one of my favorite quotes from Winston Churchill has to be from World War II. Uh, if you're going through hell, where do you go? Keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. I've probably shared it from this, this spot before. I've, I've said it too many times, but it's something that continues to ring true. If you're going through hell, keep going. Do not give up hope. Do not give up faith. Do not give in to fear. Do not let go. Keep going. Uh, when it comes to our walk with God, winning the race doesn't mean crossing the finish line first. It just means crossing the finish line. Period. Winning the race doesn't mean you have to get there first. This is not a competition. And I I was being silly in my notes and I put, this ain't no competition. And I thought maybe that would make you smile or just roll your eyes. But sometimes it just simply means this. If you're running forward, going fast, things are going really well, and we're hit with a situation, there is no shame in simply just slowing down. Just slowing down a little bit. And Pastor Katie's going to talk about this next week about resting in the valley. How do you rest when life is falling apart? When your heart is anxious, when your mind is racing, how do you find rest in the valley? So come back next week and hear Pastor Katie speak on this uh, next Sunday. But winning the race is finishing the race. Slow down, slow your pace. Let someone grab your hand. If you see someone that's slowing down, going through season, grab their hand. Walk with them. Slow your own pace. Put your arm around their shoulder. Carry them if you have to. But keep going. Believe it or not, I don't, I don't think we can do this race alone. It's why we have church family. It's why we have the family of God. It's why Jesus relates to God as Father because he says we're family. We're in this together. And I don't know about you, but generally speaking, you don't get to choose your family. They are who they are, and you, you love them. Whether you hate them or not, you love them. Whether they drive you crazy, you love them. We can't do this alone, and so we're, we're in God's family, and so we, we take each other by the hand. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but sometimes obedience takes time, and obedience requires faith. Our fear tells us to do what feels right. Whatever feels good, do it. That's what fear does. Whatever feels right, follow the feelings, and you'll be okay. Trust me. Feelings are deceptive. Unless you know for sure it's the spirit of God inside of you, feelings are not faith. Jesus, I believe, went through hell for us. And so he already took away the punishment. He already overcame everything there is to fear. So if you're going through hell, keep going. When you're walking through the deepest, darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, let faith overcome your fear. Well, you say, that sounds really good. That sounds really easy. How do I do that? Well, let's recognize a couple of things that happened to us in the valley. Now, Chad, let's put up that next picture that we have here for us today. Um, does anybody recognize this valley? I heard it over here. Wimit Canyon. Yep. Yeah. Anybody know where Wimit Canyon is? You drive down Highway 17, you get to the other side of Nipigan, and it says uh, Valley Country or something like that. Or this is, uh, of course, our own deepest darkest valley right here in northwestern Ontario. It is. Uh, has anyone ever gone to the lookout spot up there? It's beautiful, and you, it's a kind of a pay what you want when you park, but you should pay something because um, if you want a boardwalk to walk on, it costs money. So donate something when you go. But uh, I encourage you if you have a chance next time you're on your way to Thunder Bay or on the way home, stop or just do a special trip and go to go to this beautiful uh, little piece of beauty. But. Um, Well, what we think of as beauty right now, uh, in days without technology or even animals, uh, walking through such a valley would be a treacherous, treacherous experience. Um, But what is so beautiful now uh, brought a lot of pain and suffering. And now, does anybody know some fun facts about this valley before I move on? Like, did you know that it is so dark and cold at the deepest, darkest part of this particular canyon that there's only certain plants that grow at the bottom of it? That the only other place you can find those is in like Arctic and subarctic regions in Canada. Fun fact for you. So, when people say, it is so cold where I live, we have plants that only grow in the Arctic where I live. That is not a lie. That's actually a fact. Of course, they don't know that you don't live in the middle of the deepest, darkest valley of northern Ontario. Um, Let's look at the next picture there, Chad. Well, this one is beautiful and green. Uh, This one is... uh Frozen. Okay, there we go. Uh, this might have possibly been what David was thinking about when he talked about the valley of the shadow of death, maybe minus some of those buildings on the side. But you can kind of see the little bit of the road in there. This might have been the valley that David was thinking about. Of course, it was more of a trail that donkeys and maybe some horses would ride and maybe some camels. Um, but the valleys were typical, um, typically challenging places to travel through. There were typically difficult places to walk through. And if you've ever been to Israel, which I never have and I would love to go, um, the valley that we see here and the valley that David might have been thinking about might possibly be the same valley as that of the Good Samaritan. If you've ever read the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and, and the disciples are like, you know, uh, what's the, or the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, okay, what's the greatest... Um, commandment of them all. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, okay, well, what's the second greatest commandment? And he says, well, it's just as important as the first love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, okay, we're Jesus. Clearly you have all the right answers. You went to Sunday school, you and know, all of these things. Uh, we're going to try to trick you. And we're going to ask you this question, Jesus. Well, who is your neighbor? I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Who is your neighbor? And then Jesus proceeds to tell them the story of the good Samaritan. And it says there's a man who was going up from, and you can go ahead and find that. Anyways, long story short, this man gets beaten and three people walk by him. The first two ignore him. And the third one is Samaritan who hates the Jews or supposed to hate the Jews, sees this man bruised, bleeding, laying dead, almost dead, rather, on the side, of the side of the valley, the side of the trail, because he had been robbed, because people had been hiding in the darkness, in the shadows, ready to pounce on some poor traveler. And, of course, the Good Samaritan sacrifices he gives, regardless of the fact that he's supposed to hate this man. And Jesus then tells us, who is your neighbor? Anyone you come across. Anybody in need is now your neighbor. But this is the valley, perhaps, that David is talking about. Now, maybe not specifically. We can't agree. Commentators can't seem to agree if this is indeed the valley. But this is a valley. This is a deep, dark, well-known valley, and likely the image that many people had in mind when they read the Psalm of David. And what happens, of course, in the valley moments? Well, one of the things as you walk through the valleys, you start to go through difficult things. One of the first Lies that we believe in the valley is that you are alone. One of the first lies that we believe when you're in the valley is that you are alone. Doesn't matter if you go to church every week or watch church online or read your Bible and pray every day, the longer you spend in the valley, the more alone you begin to feel doesn't matter how many people you text, how many people text you back. doesn't matter how many people liked your pictures on Facebook or Instagram or watched your reels on TikTok, all of these things. You might get all of these uh, moments that make you feel good instantly. But at the end of the day, when we're going through a hard time, it's easy for us to start to feel alone. And I believe that's the first lie that we experience, is that we are alone, that God is absent. As we walk into darkness, we can forget. Quickly forget that God is with us. It instantly feels like you're all alone. And I would say this, in those moments where you feel like you're all alone, remember Emmanuel. Emmanuel is simply this, God with us. God with us. When we feel alone, we start to feel vulnerable. And that's when the devil begins to sow seeds of doubt. Our friends, family, enemies, they start to question our faith. Jesus, as he, was, as he hung on the cross, he was mocked. He said, if you are so good, if you are God, if you are truly the Son of God, come on down from that cross and prove us wrong. Destroy us, if you must, to prove that you are who you say you are. People begin to question us. Well, if your faith was stronger, maybe you wouldn't be going through such hell right now. And, and people might even begin to mock you in the middle of your faith. Why don't you just give up on God? It doesn't seem to be, why don't you just give up on church? It doesn't seem to be working for you anyway. Let me, let me just pause and remind you that God's okay with your questions. He's okay for you to cry out in the wilderness, where are you, God? He, he can handle that. He can handle the doubt. Uh, I don't believe that faith is the other end of doubt. I believe that the other end of faith is fear. Fear. It's okay for us to doubt because we can ask the question, God, where are you? And I don't know about you, but when I'm upset, I don't want to listen to anything. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I don't want to hear your advice or your opinions. I don't want to hear you tell me to calm down, go take a chill pill, relax. I just want to be angry. I want to just let it all out. And so we can question God, but if we don't ever pause to listen for the answer, God, where are you? If we don't pause long enough to hear the answer, we'll never hear him say he's right here. Now, what happens when we cry out to God, where are you, And we hear nothing? That's a moment of faith testing. But I don't believe that doubt is the other end of faith. I believe fear is the other end of faith. Fear of the unknown or even fear of the known. As I walk through this valley, I, there's a chance there's a chance there's going to be a robber. There's going to be a thief. They're going to either try to steal from me. They're going to try to destroy me, kill me. They're going to take my family. They're going to try if I'm, whatever. There's a, there's a known fear people are afraid of. For the first time going through something dark, a dark tunnel, a dark cave, it's the fear of the unknown. Has anyone ever gone, gone to uh, uh, and hiked the Nays Crack just down the road? Uh, we did that last summer. It was a riot. It was awesome. Um, even with the kids, it was Awesome-ish, and uh, I mean they—it's—it's—it's it's, it's so good, right? Because like in my mind, I'm like, I know that we're gonna get through this. As their dad, I'm like, I will make sure that they get out of this thing one way or the other. I am confident that we are going to be fine. My wife is confident we're going to be fine. And she's the one like sliding down the rocks, cutting open her elbow. And she's like, we're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And the kids are freaking out. They're shaking they their boots, daddy. They don't let me go. I, don't want to, I can't do it. I don't know what's going to happen. And we're like, I don't know what's going to happen either. But we're going to get through this. We're going to get you out. It's quite the hike. You should do it sometime. Um, uh, I should tell you, if you're going to do it, you ha- to do it legally, you're supposed to park on the highway or on the side of the highway. There's a little parking spot, and a trail. It's a good hike to get to the crack trail. But if you want to break the rules, you could walk the train trestle to the spot. I don't recommend doing that, um, just because you're not supposed to do that. So, anyways, that's the disclaimer. Just, just throwing that out there. But there's a fear of the unknown. As we, as we approach, we actually, I would recommend starting from the bottom and working your way up. It would be easier. But we, we decided to do it the hard way. And we started at the top and worked our way down. Uh, and it's, anyways. Uh, but you, you start at the top. You can't even see the other side. Like, you can see the, the light at the top. But you can't see through Anything. And there's like rocks that have fallen and they're, they're jammed and they're wedged in between the crack. And you just go, Lord, let there not be an earthquake or a train that goes by that make that rock go loose. Because if that rock comes down, this is turning into 127 hours. If you've ever seen that movie where the guy is rock climbing. And anyways, um, it's an incredible moment and experience walking through that valley. Now, some say Psalm 23 might have been the Kedron Valley. Some say it was this one, the road between Jericho and Jerusalem, spot with the Good Samaritan. But whatever the case is, we know that David took his sheep through many valleys. He took them from here to there. And, and as the shepherd, David knows, hey, I fought off lions. I fought off bears. I even slayed a giant. We're going to get through this no matter what. His sheep have no clue. What's interesting, of course, about the sheep is that they have no, they have no indication, no idea about death at all. They don't really care if they die because once they die that's it. They're done. They're sheep. It's the end of the end of the road for them. No big deal at all. They have these these moments. But they are fearful animals. They know to a point that's dark and that's scary and I don't want to go that way. And David leads his sheep through the valley and and what do the sheep do as as they walk into the valley? What do they have to do? They know, they may not realize, they might start to panic and freak out. And what does David do? He calls out to his sheep. And when the sheep hear David's voice, they know all of a sudden, okay, we're going to be okay. I can't see the shepherd. I can't feel the shepherd. I can't feel his rod pulling on my neck or the staff yanking my neck at all. But I can hear his voice. And so even though I can't see in this dark valley, I'm going to follow his voice And I'm going to trust that the shepherd is going to get me through. When they walk through the darkest valleys, when they go through deep waters, they listen to David. They listened. When we start to feel alone, we start to believe the lie that we are alone, I just say take a pause. Take a posture of worship, which we're going to talk about another week. Worshiping and praising in the valley. Take a posture of worship. Take a minute to pray. And prayer is not just a one-way conversation, but take a moment and listen. Open the word of God and listen to what he has to say. And if you don't believe, if you don't know where to start, I would just say maybe go to the book of Ephesians and read about all the things that God has done for you, like the fact that you were chosen, that you were adopted. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's a good place to start. Jesus tells us in John that he is the good shepherd and the sheep know his voice. Uh, I was going to have some fun with you this morning. I was going to get a blindfold and I was going to pick one of you and blindfold you up this morning and I was going to spin you around a couple times and then I was going to make you walk through the aisles and lead you around and I thought, well, I'll just tell you that we could have done that and you'll probably appreciate that a little bit more Um, But of course, the only way that you would get through without tripping, falling, and bumping into something would be to follow the voice of your leader. And so I would have, you know, someone in front of you just with their voice. We've done this at youth and kids stuff and all the time, but it's a fun little game with a very powerful message. Of course, you know that my family and I, uh, we love to do the Disney World thing. And there's a spot on uh, Tom Sawyer Island, it's called. You take a little raft over there. And on Tom Sawyer Island, if you've never read the stories or seen the movies, there's all these little caves that you get to walk through. And they're pretty dark. Like, it's kind of surprising because, like, I did a Keys to the Kingdom tour a number of years ago. And one of the number one keys of Disney is safety. It's not a safe place to be. And, uh, in fact, I even bonked my head really good in... uh, And going through one of the caves. Anyways, um, the kids are like, Daddy, we can't even see you at all. We can't even see the light and everything. And so, what do they do? They follow the voice in the moment. In our moments of pain, suffering, darkness, there are moments where we need to pause and listen. Call out to God, yes, but we need to listen. And here's the question that I always have why is it so hard to listen, but it's so easy to listen to the lies of the enemy, but not the voice of God? It's so easy to listen to the voice of the enemy but not the voice of God. That's because the enemy always makes it sound so good. It makes it sound like it's the truth. I've told you this before. The the secret to telling a a lie is to have a bit of truth in there. If you want to tell a good lie, make sure there's a little bit of truth in there. Now you know how to lie, all right? Uh, Don't write that one down. But it's always easy to listen to the voice of the enemy. It always sounds so good. And then what happens is this fear takes over, and so we go off our feelings. We think, well, just, well, that sounds good. I'm just gonna do that. We don't measure it against anything. We just we just believe the lie, and we go for it. We stop moving forward, and we end up stuck. We, we end up going the wrong way, or we get stuck in this moment. And usually in those moments, we begin to believe that we're alone, and so we start to worry about what might happen. Anxiety starts to rise. Our bodies start to feel the stress, and if we continue to believe the lies that we are alone, we go into survival mode we either start running in circles and burn out or we just completely shut down altogether and, and end up with a ball of I just don't know what to do trust me that's not the place that God has called you to be one of my favorite passages and I, I remember sharing this my first time I ever taught a junior high lesson this was the verse that we shared it was Romans 125 it says this they exchanged the truth about God for a lie they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. If you keep reading as they exchanged the truth for a lie and believed the lies of Satan, it says they gave themselves over to dishonorable pleasures. In our most vulnerable moments, and our darkest times, it's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to get stuck. It's easy for us to trade the truth for a lie because of fear. And if we start to believe the fear and we start to believe the lie that we are alone... Then the next lie begins to take form in our lives. Number two, when you believe that you are alone and God is no longer with you, we believe the next lie that you have nothing. If God was all that you had for hope and all that you were holding on to, you begin to believe that you have nothing, that you are alone, you have nothing. If your provider has abandoned you, you are left with nothing. No way to fight, no way to survive, no way to thrive. If you have nothing, surely you have no future. When you exchange the truth and begin to believe lies, we do things contrary to our faith. If we believe we have nothing, we stop doing things that our faith instructs us to do. We start to literally go off the rails. We start to do the things that we used to do that we said we would never do again. We start to do things that are not pleasing to to God, that do not show love to God, that do not show love to others. It all becomes about us. It all becomes about me, 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 me. It becomes survival mode. I'm all alone. I have nothing. I have to fight, and we start hurting the people around us. We start, we start, uh, we start getting into trouble, and we start doing things that we said we would never do, or we would never do again, because we exchange the truth for a lie. We stop being generous. We stop being kind. We we believe we have nothing to give and nothing to offer, so we stop tithing. We stop helping. We stop, and we start focusing simply on survival. In these moments, I want you to do me a favor. In these moments where you feel like you're alone, remember Emmanuel, God with us. Remember the words of Jesus, I will never leave you. When you start to believe the lie that you have nothing, remember Philippians 4.19. Because it tells us that God will supply every need. What's amazing about this particular verse is that Paul, in his conclusion of his letter to the church in Philippi, says to them, Hey, church in Philippi, you were the first church to give towards my my ministry and my mission before any other church ever did. I know you didn't have a lot, but you gave anyway. He says, and he thanks them for their generosity, and he says, God will supply all of my need. And for a while, Paul would make tents. He was a tent maker on the side, and he would sell his tents, and he would repair tents, and that would give him enough money so that he'd be able to do the work of the ministry. And finally, he got to a point in his ministry and and the churches that he had planted and ministered to said, Paul, we recognize that God has called you to be more than just a tent maker. And and the gifts that God has given you, We you we want to enable you to be able to do that full time. And so we're going to give you some money. We're going to help you out so that you don't have to make tents anymore. And the church in Philippi was one of the first churches to do that. And so Paul is saying, remember how you gave when nobody else gave. That was a sacrifice that you had to make so that I could do what God called me to do full time. And Paul says to the, to, the, to the Philippians, and he says, uh, God will supply every need. And I know this because God supplied every one of my needs. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about giving and sacrificing in the valley. But today we want to recognize, one, we're not alone. God is with us. Number two, we want to recognize that we are not without. God will supply every need. Philippians 4.19. If the good shepherd could provide a green pasture in the middle of the desert for the sheep, God will provide shelter and safety in a time of darkness. Okay, fine. I don't care either. God gave Moses and the Israelites water from a rock in the desert. He gave them manna and quail that fell from heaven. Easiest hunting trip ever. Literally fell from the sky in front of them. He will certainly give you everything that you need to get through the darkest season of your life. I believe it 100%. Say, so Gary, you have no idea. It's so easy for you to stand up there and say that. Right now it is, yes. But in my own moments... When I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And the moments those fear thoughts enter my mind and go, I I don't know. I remember I hold on to the fact that God is going to provide every single need. But if we continue on this trail, we believe that we're alone. We believe that we have nothing. You know what happens next? You know what enemy lie we start to believe next? We start to believe that we are nothing. Nothing. Well, if God's not with you, and he's your provider, and you have nothing, you have no value. You're worthless. You are nothing. Begin to feel shame about who we are, shame about what we've done. Begin to believe that we're nothing. It's amazing. We're filled with shame. Even when we have an experience with Jesus, we still sometimes don't believe that he's for us. When we feel alone... When there doesn't seem to be anything going our way, we're feeling empty, it's so easy for us to feel useless. And people will tell us, you're going through a deep, dark depression, you can't even get out of bed to work because it's just so heavy in your mind. And people go, just get out of bed, you're just being lazy, you're useless, you're good for nothing. I mean, pay attention to the words that we say. I mean, the reason they're saying those things is because they're hurting in their valley themselves. They've never dealt with it, but it's so easy for us to begin to believe the lie. You're useless. What good are you? You can't even get out of bed. Let me remind you this morning that you have value. If anyone ever tells you you're useless, just just call me, and I'll tell you the truth. But if I'm not around, I want you to open the word, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians because Ephesians will tell you that you're chosen. It'll tell you that you're adopted into God's family. It'll tell you that you have an inheritance. It'll tell you that God is giving you the Holy Spirit as a deposit of things to come. Read some other wonderful passages. It says that you're grafted into the family of God. You're not nothing, you're somebody. In fact, you're the son of the daughter of the king of the world. You're a son and daughter of the creator of the universe. This is the family that God has made you a part of, so you cannot tell me that you are useless. The devil cannot tell, well, he can tell you you're useless all he wants, but you're not going to believe it because you know that God is with you. You know that God is for you, and God will supply all of your needs. Let remind you today that you have value. The words of John about Jesus himself, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. The moment that you find yourself in the valley, maybe you've gotten into that survival mode. Maybe you've said some things, you've done some things, and you regret those things. Let me just tell you, the moment you start to feel shame about those things, just know that that's not the voice of God. That's not the voice of the Lord speaking to you. In those moments when you start to feel how could you do that? You are worthless. I can't believe you went down that path. I can't believe you did that. That's not the voice of the Lord. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to what? He came to save it. So what happens to Adam and Eve in the garden? God already knows what they did, but they run and they hide. They cover themselves up. They're trying to hide from God. The one who created them, the one who created the trees that they're hiding behind, God created them. And and they're hiding and and God calls out like he doesn't know. Where are you, guys? It's like with my kids, when they're really little, playing and go seek, and they're hiding behind like, the corner of the table. You can't see me. Or they cover their eyes. We do the same thing, right? We, we try to run from God. Why do we run from God? Because we, be- we believe the lie that we're useless, that we're not worthy. But here's the thing. You're right. You're not worthy, but Jesus makes us worthy. Jesus took the punishment for the sin. So what does he say to do? If you've, if you've gone down that road and you've believed the lie and you traded the truth for a lie, you did the things you didn't want to do, you did the things that you weren't supposed to do, or you didn't do what you were supposed to do, it's a very simple path forward. All you got to do is simply repent. Turn away. Just simply turn and, and, and confess and repent. It's Just put it out on the table. God's not going to be there pointing the finger. He's, he's not there pointing the finger. He's not ready with the, with the belt or the bat or the, the open hand. He's ready to just receive you into his presence. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn it. He came to save it. And You don't save the world by condemning them. Oh, you're hopeless. You're useless. We're just going to kick you to hell with the, with the devil and his angels. Lost cause. Not one single soul on this earth, I believe, is a lost cause. There is, if you are breathing air in your lungs, there is no way that you could get so far from God that he won't take you back. There is absolutely nothing that you can do on this earth, no matter, no matter how far you've gone, that you cannot come back to the house of the Lord. Psalm 107, 14. Well, Psalm 107, one of my favorite Psalms. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. One of my favorite Psalms. Verse 14. Give thanks to the Lord. Those he saved and experienced utter darkness and broke away their chains. It's amazing when we have those moments of darkness I and mean, those moments of shame. It's like we just We get to this one of these rocks. We go to one of these shadowy places, and we just tie ourselves to the rock, and we go, "I'm no good anymore. I'm just going to lay here and just be strapped in this darkness forever." But no, the psalmist in 107 says, "Give thanks to the Lord, those He saved, those who have experienced utter darkness, those who have experienced the valley of the shadow of death, those who have experienced the deepest, darkest valley." Give thanks to the Lord those whose chains he broke away. We may think that we're tied to the wall because of our sin and because of our shame. But the fact is, is that moment of confession, that moment of repentance, because of the grace of Jesus, because of the shed blood of the Lamb, we're instantly free. There's nothing holding us there. The fact that we feel we're held and we're stuck in that place, we're held by that sin that's there, that that bond has already been broken. So instead of exchanging the truth for a lie, let's exchange the lie for a truth. God set me free. I don't need to walk with my head held down. I can walk with my head held high because Jesus Christ has set me free. Give thanks to the Lord, those he saved from utter darkness. It feels like death. I feel like I want to die. In in some translations, you've probably heard me say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you read some of them, it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, it's because the Hebrew word for death and for darkness is the same word that they use here. And so they say, actually, it's not that it's the valley of the shadow of death, it's that the valley is so dark, it's so dim, it's so cold, it feels like death. It's as if you want to die. But even in death, we do not need to fear, for God is with us, he will protect us, he will comfort us. And he will redeem us. You are not alone. You have everything you need. And you have value. When God calls you into the unknown. Believe it or not. There's going to be a level of fear. When Jesus our good shepherd brings us through the valley. We'll likely experience fear. But at those moments we have to either choose faith. Or we have to choose fear. Are we going to allow fear to control us? Or are we going to allow our faith in the good shepherd to overcome the fear that we have? Because if we give in to fear, we're going to start believing those lies. And so, together this morning, I say we're going to choose faith. In case you know what that looks like, it says, "So how do we know we're really saved?" Well, you go to the Book of Revelation. It says, "By the word, we're saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony." We know that Jesus shed blood, took away the sin of the world. So there's no punishment for us to pay. Even though in my sin it said I should be dead, my punishment of death is taken away. How do I know that I'm saved? Because of the word of my testimony. By the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what we walk through, no matter what people say about us, no matter what the devil says to us or about us, no matter what happens, we know that we are saved. And if we confess out loud with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus saved me, that I repented of my sin, the devil has no hold on my life. There's nothing that can hold me back. I can walk through any valley. You can say whatever you want about me. It's going to hurt because I'm a words guy. You can say whatever you want to me. But at the end of the day, what is true is that I'm not alone. I have everything that I need. And I have value. I'm not alone. I have everything I need. And I have value. Would you do me a favor today, and if you're sitting next to somebody, would you put their hand on your shoulder? Or if they're your spouse, just hold their hand for a moment this morning and uh, just begin to pray a blessing over them. Just say, God, we know that you love us. God, I know you're for this person. God, I know that you saved this person. God, would you remind them they're never alone? God, would you remind them they have everything they need? And God, would you remind them that they are loved and that they are valued? Next thing I would suggest that we do this week is we just think of somebody. Somebody that you know, somebody that you don't know, someone at work, someone you work that used to work with you, someone that you have seen in church before, and just call them up and say, hey, I just want to let you know that God loves you. I just want you to know that I love you. I just want you to know you're not alone. I want you to know that I'm praying for you, that you have everything that you need, because I believe that God will provide all that you need. But most of all, I want you to know that you're loved by God and that you're valued. You don't have to use those words, but just call someone up and encourage them this week. Just let them know, because you never know what valley someone's going through you never know the pain that someone's going through and maybe the words that you speak to them are just what they need to hear and whoever god puts on your heart this week just go for it it's going to be awkward it's going to be hard you're going to feel the pit in your stomach you're going to feel kind of the spirit of god speak to you and go i don't really want to do that you're going to walk by them at work and it's going to go really you want me to say that right here right now yes <laughs> yes just say yes i don't care who's around Don't let the devil take away that moment. Let let your life bring joy to somebody else. And if you're going through a valley, reach out. Reach out to anybody in this room today. For someone you know that's not here today and you can reach out to them, reach out to them. Because we're family. We don't walk through valleys alone. There's no shame. There's no no finger pointing. We'll We'll just help move you forward. We'll help encourage you. We'll pray for you. We'll hold your hand. We'll help point you in the right direction. So God, today as we go, I pray a blessing over each one. As you've reminded us today, Lord, that we have value, that we're not alone, and we have everything that we need, God, as we remind today, as we walk through the darkest valleys of this life, Lord, uh, Lord, we don't want to celebrate the valley, but God, we're going to still celebrate you. We're still going to walk with our faith. We're still going to believe that you are good no matter what. God, help us to believe the truths about who you are and who you say we are. In you, God, I give you so much thanks and praise for the grace and the mercy and for the love that you've shown to each and every one of us. And God, I give you thanks for the love that you're going to show through each and every one of us this week. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.